Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today let the word go forth fool me once are you fired up i'm not a crook are you ready to go shame on shame on you it's abe lincoln's top hat hosted by ben kissel boom you can't get fooled again Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, staring at the beautiful face of Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. We're honored to have with us the co-host, or tri-host, I suppose, of mm-hmm. Page 7, <laughs> right here on the Last Podcast Network. You know her, you love her, Molly Neffel. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so we're going to get to education, obviously, because you're here, Molly, and you know a lot about it, so mm-hmm. we will get to that. We'll talk a little bit about General John Kelly. Does he stay or does he go if he goes? He was considered the adult in the room, but uh, his juvenile antics are beginning to show through, calling uh, dreamers lazy. Uh, And, of course, the the Rob um, Porter scandal, which is still brewing heavily within the White House. The man uh, allegedly beat two of his former wives. There are photos and a lot of evidence mounting uh, to show that those women are telling the truth. Uh, We also want to talk a little bit about uh, about this Crumbs Act, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, And, of course, we will continue our conversation about infrastructure and dreamers and and uh, DACA, that whole small conversation. <laughs> uh, I just want to point out initially, I was thinking about this yesterday, and I spoke about it to Marcus. We are in such dumb times, and I know we all know that, but the really shining example of the week was the fact that Amarosa, formerly in the White <laughs> House, uh, she is now in the Big Brother reality television show house. And so from the White House to the Big Brother house, it's basically considered a lateral move. <laughs> and I don't know what that means for our country and what that means for where we are as a people. It's not good. It's not great, and Mike Judge might have nailed it. Um, this is oh. actually a true Page 7 uh, top hat crossover, right? Because yes. she just went right from the political arena into the pop culture arena. Boom. And she's talking to the former uh, fellow from The Tonight Show with uh-huh. Jay Leto, and she's crying and... Whispering. She's like, well, they're whispering because they're all in the house together, but she's like... Yes, and there's no, there's no actual walls that go to the ceiling in those houses. It's not <laughs> Everyone's a lot of against me. It's that that clip is. I hadn't seen that until yesterday, and it is um, that it, that clip is a real trip in terms of like it is. you used you, literally like two weeks ago you were in the yep. White House. And now you're on Big Brother, and you're acting like exactly like you're on Big Brother. <laughs> and it's normal. I also want to talk a little bit about the fawning over Kim Yo-jong. She is, uh, this. I don't know what the news media was thinking. They're like, she destroyed Mike Pence in a stare-off. I don't like Mike Pence. I don't like Donald Trump. But I also don't like the North Koreans uh, and what Kim Yo-jong does to her people. She is in charge of the Workers' Party, Workers Party's Propaganda and Agitation Department, which is about as cruel as it comes when it comes to... 
to being in charge of a department. But let's start here with this crumb act, this crumbs act. Of course, this is a dig at Nancy Pelosi saying that people who received $1,000 bonuses or $2,000 bonuses from large corporations are getting the crumbs and the corporations are making billions and billions of dollars. Perhaps it did make her look out of touch, uh, maybe a little bit of an elitist statement, but also some truth to it. Yeah. So there is a representative, this dude, Todd Rokita. He's a Republican out of Indiana. He has created a bill. It's called Creating Relief in Useful Middle Class Benefits and Savings, or the Crumbs Act. Of course, kind of thumbing his uh, his nose there at Nancy Pelosi. We live in such a stupid time. <laughs> this, is a, this is the theme of the year, of the past six months, right? Uh, maybe even longer. Maybe 24, maybe uh, whatever, 18 months. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, all, it's been dumb for a long time. And uh, basically what this does is it makes all bonuses up to $2,500 tax-free, which is good. I don't know why he has to be so petty about it uh, with the Krems Act, but it is good. But I want to point out just a little bit here. Uh, according to the tally by Americans for Tax Reform, the 346 companies have given workers bonuses or raises or increased contributions to employees 401k. Those companies, AT&T, which gave a thousand buck bonus uh, to 200,000 employees, automaker Fiat Chrysler, which gave 60,000 employees 2,000 bucks. Let's go back to that number. Fiat Chrysler, 60,000 employees for 2,000 bucks. Donald Trump's attorney gave more money to Stormy Daniels. Yeah. He gave 130k to Stormy Daniels, and they're really pretending. And again, I think it's great that these families get it. But my goodness, aren't they wearing thin a little bit? The pat on the back. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is a—it's amazing how little they're actually giving these employees. You know, the the piece of the pie is so small, and it's right, but they're it's all re- about it. well, it's all relative. Exactly, it's, it's all completely and totally right, right. relative because to the companies, this is nothing. Right. I mean, these these are companies that will pay. Three million, four million dollar fines, and oh, it's sure. absolutely nothing to them. Right. So a hundred, just and, a rounding error, and yeah, this isn't even a rounding error. That's that's nothing uh, to these corporations, but to American families, to uh, middle right. class people, to working class people, like it's the it's a gigantic difference. It is. It, so Molly, from the from the left side, which by the way, I was called left of liberal today hey. on Neil Cavuto's <laughs> show. So Welcome. That's, that's Fox <laughs> Business for you. But from the left standpoint, how do they avoid looking? Like as we talked about with Nancy Pelosi, I did. I perhaps she misspoke saying crumbs. Uh, how do they? How do they um, not look like elitists? Recognize that hey, you are getting a thousand bucks, twenty five hundred bucks, and that's great, and that's a lot of money. But on the other hand, they're costing us one point two trillion bucks in the economy because of the nineteen percent, eighteen percent decrease in tax rate. Right. I mean, I agree with Marcus completely. I understand. It's the the thing is, Republicans are are good at rhetoric, and they're good at. Strat- they have good strategies like and so it, it's smart of them to be like oh look at how out of touch nancy pelosi seems for saying that a thousand bucks is just crumbs but like relative it is literally a crumb compared to the big fucking sheet cake that that corporations are getting right, right? and so i feel like democrats i mean i feel like i'm in the the kind of uh you know Bernie calling out millionaires and billionaires camp. Like, I feel like you need to, Democrats would be best to focus their, um, their criticisms at 
the extraordinarily wealthy, um, you know, individuals and corporations who are benefiting because right. that continues to be that's been a popular message. Income inequality has been a popular message since 2011. And it's just that, you right. know, it doesn't instead they, they talk about balance and they talk about the middle class and they feel like they have to do this like both sides thing as opposed to being like, yes, this is bullshit that corporations are getting this much money. So in 2018, in the midterms coming up here, we talked about it on uh, last week's show. There was a Democrat who won a heavily in a heavily redis, uh, Republican district in Missouri. Uh, there's the so-called blue wave. Uh, women are going to be extremely prominent. 51% of the voters in Alabama when when Roy Moore lost. Um, what was the name of the fellow that he lost to? I'm already blanking. Roy Moore. Uh, who did who oh, did Roy Doug, Moore lose Doug to? Jones. Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Doug, Doug, that's right. Dougie Jones. Dougie Jones. Fifty one percent of the voters were women. I think that they're going to be a very crucial voting block in uh, coming up in 2018. How do the Democrats not um, lose any footing if they don't get the DACA plan through? If everything is accomplished because of the Republicans, and we can get into the immigration plan uh, here now, what's the message for the Democratic Party? Because Marcus, I mean, at least I have been really trying to figure it out, and I feel like I'm just stepping on quicksand. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that I, I think that the Democrats um, should not. I think that the Democrats really biffed it with the whole DACA thing and the yeah. shutdown. I but think Mitch that, McConnell promised that it's going to be done in two weeks. <laughs> he, if he doesn't keep his promise, he's going to look bad. Yeah, I mean, they had leverage and then they gave up the leverage and then they didn't use the leverage the next right. time the shutdown came around. And uh, well, DACA is wildly popular. Yes, like it's so. What? Who the fuck do they think they're pleasing by not fighting for this shit? Like. You know, I think that I just I'm absolutely of the camp and it showed in the 2017 November elections like like left policies and like a affir like affirmative clear policies like infrastructure right like right. the um the trans woman who was everyone was really excited that she was trans out of Virginia, Virginia yeah Diana Carome yeah but she won she ran on roads like building roads you she, know absolutely and so it I feel substance. like substance it wasn't just I it, like it was like I happen to be right. dr transgender but what I really want to do is fix the fucking pothole yeah on her, like her opponent ran on um the chefs from Ernest goes to camp there's like <laughs> <laughs> like or uh, whatever they were cooking, Ernest's reaction to whatever yeah. the chefs on Ernest Just goes to ew, camp. Ew, no, no. And she was like potholes. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, stop signs. Yeah, things that affect people's everyday lives. Things that have nothing to do with what uh, you know genitalia I have on my yeah. body. Right, yeah. and that didn't hold her back, which is awesome. Um, right. But also, she ran on affirmative progressive policies. There was like DSA members who won, you know, Democratic Socialist for America members who won in that election. So there's this idea. Democrats have this pathological fear of being too far to the left mm -hmm. but when you look at the democrats who have been winning who won in in november in 2017 it was a bunch of our revolution candidates that's bernie's uh uh, you know, Bernie and, and a bunch of other people, like a progressive organization mm -hmm. uh, lifting up like local progressive candidates and and uh, Democratic Socialists for America candidates. And um, and, you know, there was the people who the way that Democrats can win is by being specific. Same with the State of the Union response. I thought Joe Kennedy's response was was fine and good. And it was cool that he kind of named a lot of different marginalized populations. Well, but I thought it was it was a lot of we talked about this, mm -hmm. a lot of cliches. Exactly. And it was a little aggravating scene of Kennedy. But uh, that's exactly. a, that we talked I, about that on two episodes ago. So go back and listen. No, but I totally agree. Like yeah. it, it, he, it was fine for like a rich guy, <laughs> a, a famous rich legacy, uh, and he did a good job, like rhetoric, like with his words and stuff. But like he didn't say anything specific. 
like whereas um you know the democrats like the the messages that resonate with people and that move people to the polls are things like 15 dollar an hour minimum wage are things like universal health care and i don't unfortunately i i don't have faith that a lot of democrats are going to go that way because they have this like it's more important to them to appear bipartisan and to appear to go to be like the grown-ups in the situation and they keep saying we want to go back to our norms and like our norms suck you know mm. like we don't want to go back to our norms our norms were screwing people over we need to to go somewhere new and i feel like democrats should embrace the fact that there actually is a real um there is incredibly popular support sure. for these policies that actually also in addition to being popular do the best things for the most amount of people. So that's on a federal level, right? But if we have someone like a Joe Manchin or a Susan Collins out of Maine, Republican and Manchin, obviously a Democrat, their politics are going to be more moderate just by nature. Maine is not a particularly Republican state. It's very pro-guns and things like that. But I think on a social rights level, it's it's quite progressive. And, of course, uh, you have West Virginia. On a workers' level, it's extremely conservative, coal mining country, environment. Uh, he does not have to be very pro-environment, so he's allowed to be more of a moderate on that. They got together they're trying to work on an infrastructure bill do the do the democrats fall into what the republicans fell into in the 90s uh with this purity test on a federal a federal purity test on some of these states where democrats like a doug jones in alabama other than his abortion stance which was a little bit uh well way way too uh, far to the left for for the majority of alabamians uh but the disdain for but roy moore did not hurt him yeah. and i think that's unique though because roy right. moore was like the devil incarnate <laughs> yeah, uh, a theocrat fair. from hell uh but do the democrats fall uh, into a trap if they just think about things federally and not look at these things on a local level uh, and realize that they might have to run a pro-life candidate or uh, or a candidate who is wanting not to have uh, strict environmental restrictions or things like that. I don't know. I think that on a local, I think that actually locally is the best place to get progressive policies passed. Like, okay. um, you know, in New York, they were, I mean, obviously New York is New York, but you, on a local level, they were able to pass paid sick leave, mm -hmm. um, universal pre-K, you know. And so I think that, that local politicians, state and local politicians actually can run on like, uh, they can figure out, and I mean, raising the minimum wage, I feel like, is something that, you know, you can do either at a city or a state level. Sure. It's extremely popular. And I hear you about the pu purity test. I mean, I, I think that that's why focusing on um, economic policies that would benefit everybody are a good idea, because I think that's how you get... Um, you build a base that's not just the Democrat. The Democrats cannot rely on the Democratic base. They need right. to build. They need to go into the people who who aren't voting, right? But they what they don't and need the to do. Yeah, and even some Republicans at this point, perhaps who yeah. knows? But that's I think what they don't need to. Maybe some Republicans, but what they don't need to do is what they did in 2016, which was like court middle class, upper middle class Republicans, rather right. than courting people who were maybe not going to vote because they were whole well, dis disgusted by the whole thing. Yeah. I don't think that they, I mean, I don't think that they should run pro-life candidates because I don't think that they have to because I think that they could appeal to more people with more progressive policies that actually help people. I don't think that they need to, um, I don't think they need to sacrifice basic human rights. And I think that that's what running yeah. a pro-life well, candidate And Mark, it's just, in what just it's, it seems like the Democrats are still fighting for the Reagan Democrats that were stolen away from them. Right. Well, I, I think uh, the biggest problem that the Democrats have uh, right now as far as putting forth a policy is that the Democrats are fighting against American impatience, which is worse than it's ever been. And what the Republicans are doing is it's a government where, a government where you get something now. Right. Like you get a uh, tax cut. You get... Uh, something back from your bonus or you don't have to pay taxes on your bonus but democrats it's like 
well, we can do things that make things better later. Right. And it's not even necessarily going to be better for you specifically. (laughs) It's going to be better for everybody. But the Republicans are able to say, I can make your life better now. And later, later, it's going to suck. That's a good point, Marcus. And I want to bring up just really quickly. I had a chance to meet with my friend Bitsy. Hello, Bitsy. Uh, Participatory. Participatory? (laughs) Democracy. Participatory. Participatory? Participatory. Thank you. Democracy. That's <laughs> Participatory. Th- Participatory? Participatory democracy. <laughs> That's happening. Participatory? Uh-huh. That's kind of a weird word if you say it a bunch. <laughs> Uh, that's happening here in New York City, which I found to be very interesting. Basically, uh, it's a series of 12. You get, you get 12 options. Uh, everyone votes on five. It's, vo- it's volunteers. It's a volunteer uh, budgetary, uh, budgetary committee. They come in. They vote on 12. The top five uh, get a million dollars in funding, which goes by very, very quickly. But I do think that that's a good uh, kind of wave uh, for the future. If you think about that, uh, that's so. Uh, let's see. What did I want to? I went. I mentioned. I I got all stuck here in the participatory thing, <laughs> and I wanted to mention something different, Marcus. But what did I want to mention? Something a completely different subject change. No, uh, not a totally different subject change. You were mentioning uh, get it now. Yeah. And I watched this great documentary over the weekend. First of all, Seeing All Red is a great documentary about Gloria Allred. Had very little. I want to uh, watch that. I you love have her. to watch it. Interesting life. If you hate her, if you like her, it doesn't matter. It's a great human piece. Very fascinating. Uh, great documentary on the payday loan scandal. You remember mm. this payday company? Yes. So basically what they would do is they would get you 500 bucks, and they didn't tell people if you didn't actively pay off the debt, you were paying the in, you were just paying to have them renew the debt 75 bucks every 2 weeks and so people thought that that 75 bucks coming out of their paychecks were going towards the debt long story short they end up paying 1100 1200 bucks on a $500 debt that seems to be, be what could happen here in the near future when it comes to the tax plan uh, because unless we're growing at an exponential rate 3 over well over 3% that's what it would take to have to pay for this dang thing it's going to be coming out of the middle class at the end of the day because the corporate tax cuts are permanent. Yeah, right. That's the, 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 and again, the Republicans are smart. Like They made it so that immediately people will see a break. Right. Not even everybody. Like so Poor got, people won't even really. But, like, working yeah, but class, their neighbors are getting the break, and right. they see that people are getting the break. It's like, well, maybe I'll get that break someday. Right. All they know is that under Republicans, people are getting breaks. Right. And, and things it, but, are getting done. But things the, are getting done, yes. But the breaks, like you said, they come right away, but then they go away. They're phased out after a few years, and the corporate breaks stay. And, yeah, I mean, that, the, the, the tax plan is, is, you know, is, is garbage for working class people and for middle class people, but, they, but it doesn't appear that way because the Republicans are good at, I, I so totally agree, how good, good the, at getting, getting a, the, the win right away. How can the Democrats, because you have, to, you have to have a fairly nuanced political conversation to get that point through, right? Because you're seeing, the, you're seeing the immediate tax bonus. Maybe your company that you work for gave you a bonus. How do you get the message across, being like, in the long run, you're going to be screwed? And because, honestly, people, they need food now. Mm-hmm. We need to eat every day. We need to get to work every day. So for some people, I think, I mean, perhaps this does catapult somebody else up. Maybe someone uh, finally can get that job because they can get that car, and perhaps it does have uh, long-lasting positive effects. But overall, I think it could be a very negative situation in five, eight, ten years. I mean, you look at that. There's 346 companies. I, I don't know how many uh, employees total uh, got these bonuses here, but you know, 200,000 employees there, 60,000 employees uh, here. You know, really, the amount of people that are uh, getting bonuses 
it's a very, very small portion of our population. That's not going to kickstart anything. Yeah. Like mm. that, that's not, that's not going to hit our economy up to the next level where we can cover, how many is it, $1.2 trillion? Yeah. That's you, what's, it's you know, optics that they're yes. doing. Yeah. It's, it's all optics, you know, and, and it's, it's very, it's extreme. Like you said, it's, it's extremely difficult to get it yeah. across, you know, and I think maybe they just need to be blunt with it instead of beating around the bush, yeah. like showing people and telling people, it's like, listen, this is great now, mm. but you're going to be screwed later. Yeah. Like they, these things are going to have very real consequences. But on the other hand, it's hard to tell people that even in their everyday lives, even right. things that, you know, have a certain like, you know, people who take out like rent to own furniture and things right. like these that. Like, total scam companies. Like but you got to sleep on a bed. Right? Yeah. You got to sleep on a bed. You know, these things are a part of people's everyday lives and they still don't take that lesson. I've fallen prey to that type of shit myself. You know, we still right. don't take that lesson in our everyday lives. But to show people that on a scale and as far as the American government goes, right. like that's a gigantic challenge. Yep. And not for nothing, but a lot of the adults, uh, adults, Democrats, um, <laughs> who are sometimes adults, sometimes. Uh, a lot of the Democrats don't um, they just don't read like they actually care about. Uh, working class people they read as out of touch often well, because they are know, out of touch because they, a lot of them right. are more interested in their corporate donors yeah. than um, than working class people a lot of them ha have no connection to working class yep. people it's a total abstraction and so that's why they say shit that sounds out of touch not all of them some of them are really good at it but many of them they the working class is not the Democrats' priority. Their their donor well, base. You know that's mm -hmm. what Bill Murray was talking about. It was kind of an interesting uh, uh, conversation he had over this past week, talking about how the Democrats kind of break up their constituents in very finite groups. And theoretically, I suppose the Republicans, he says, kind of talks to uh, talk to everyone. Although I think they play identity politics just as much as uh, as the Democrats do. But is there any truth to that? You know, I mean, as far as uh, DACA went. And I, this is what I said on Cavuto hmm? today Cavuto. when it comes to this 25 billion bucks to bolster defense along the U.S.-Mexico border that Donald Trump wants to put in there in order to have DACA go through. The question is, do Democrats love DACA more than they hate the wall? Uh, and that's the major question, because when it came to the budget with this bloated mess of a bill uh, that reminded me of Monday after Super Bowl Sunday of myself, I mean, just absolute so much pork inside of it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but they didn't win on that. They didn't win in the budget. That budget is horrible. No, the American people just lost. It's going to add uh, trillions to the deficit, um, the debt, uh, obviously, uh, in the in the. Um, in the uh, near term. So what are the Democrats going to do if it comes to DACA? Because that made it look like they were talking, we were had we had CHIP on the line, the Children's Health Insurance Program. They got that to 10 years, which was a good compromise. And so the Demo the Republicans were like, well, we got we got CHIP here, millions of kids on this, or do you want to leverage your 800,000 or 1.2 million, depending on what number you want to look at, for DACA? So this is the, this is the hard... Uh, situation that the Democrats find themselves in. Yeah, and I mean that was a dirty, horrific trick that the because they should have financed chip three months ago. Exactly, they held it hostage, and then they said, "Wow, I can't believe you're choosing DACA over all these right. children," which they were the ones that that had let the Children's Health Insurance Program collapse. I don't know in what terms happens? of the wall. Yeah, though, what happens? Do you think I th the wall is also really unpopular? That's the thing. It is. The, the the Republicans move the goalposts, so it's like, yeah. are you going to let these children die or these children die? And then they're like, these children. And then they're like, okay, well, I guess you got to build this wall. 
and they 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 have made it so that okay so we'll give you daca but you have to build this fascist fucking wall and implement all of these fascist immigration policies all of which are super unpopular so i i really think i mean i can imagine people hearing this and being like it's unrealistic and it is for the democrats for the democratic party as it exists now but there is no reason for the democratic party to give on the wall just in the name of compromise it's, they're but doing it in the name don't of compromise get DACA. well you say that you know they uh, they're putting lives on the line here uh, but what we've got to understand is like to the base to the republican base the wall is also about putting lives on the line because a lot of the people they that believe that. in the wall they believe that the criminals are coming <laughs> over that the murderers are coming over over the border instead of things Things like just flying into the country and then just not going home right. and just right. staying here or coming in cars, you know, just across the border. You know, like the dangerous criminals are not swimming the Rio Grande. Right. You know, this that no. shit just isn't happening. So to the Republican base, like the wall is a lives issue totally. as well. Yeah. You know, like they're saying the they're they're making the exact same argument over on that side is that the Democrats are playing with lives here. And right. I understand those people who live on that border. They need to have home security. It seems like the wall isn't particularly popular among people who live on the uh, on the U.S. Mexico border. From my understanding of polling, you're right. Over 70 percent of Americans support DACA. Uh, 56 percent, roughly, uh, do not support uh, the wall. So it's kind of a crazy juxtaposition. How don't the Democrats let the American people know? We have Jeff Sessions, Attorney General, wanting to eliminate legal marijuana, which is an eight billion dollar industry, which would just give eight billion bucks back to the cartels, which is going to flood our southern border once again with marijuana, yeah. which is crazy. Uh, and if you look at the wall, Donald Trump calls it a symbolic gesture because I don't think he knows what symbolic means. <laughs> um, but if you look at people actually crossing, it's down. Some estimates are up to, uh, up to 40 percent. So it's already the rhetoric of the administration is already working. How don't the Democrats really uh, explain this to the American people? Yeah, I think that right, and the the, build, the border. It's worth pointing out that the border is already extremely militarized, right? Like there's already it's no easy feat. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I think that I, I think that the Democrats have to use more explicit language about what this is. Everyone knows what this is about. It's about white nationalism, and I think that um, re that Democrats don't want to say that. They want to say this: we need to return to our norms, <clears> and <throat> things have gotten so impolite or whatever. Like, take go back to when Trump said um, the shithole countries thing, right? And a bunch of people were like. Oh, is Donald Trump a racist? Maybe now he's a racist. Maybe this is the time that we should say that was actually mm -hmm. a racist thing that he said. Meanwhile, for the last year plus, but when he announced his candidacy by saying Mexico, Mexicans are rapists, like we Democrat, the Democratic Party should be unafraid to call him a racist. I'm not necessarily saying that that won't alienate but does some that moderates. Does that, but does that word carry the same weight as it used to? Because they also called Mitt Romney a racist, or or not that he is. A, I shouldn't say it's not. I don't care whether. Donald Trump is is an individual racist, which he obviously is, but that these policies are racist and these policies are about white nationalism. These policies are about, um, you know, excluding, uh, you know, immigrant families and, and children and what they have to offer and do all that shit. Like, look at all these fucking Olympian winners who are children of immigrants and all like there's sure. all sorts of ways that you can message that. And, you know, you might lose some. 
um, people maybe on the moderate line, but but the, the amount of people that you could also then gain by being like, you know what, we're running on Medicaid for all because we understand, you know, talk about immediate wins. We understand that every month you are hurting for your health care coverage. You're hurting to get your prescription. So we can offer these a program that helps everybody, regardless of whether you're a racist or not. But we can say that we are not going to support policies that are white nationalist policies. I just think yeah. that the Democratic Party should embrace that, you know? I I feel like if the Democratic Party goes with the white nationalist you know, rhetoric, I feel like it's a political loser overall. If you look at where Donald Trump actually did fairly well in the numbers, he wins in some strange way on these social wars. This, the only reason he brought up the NFL kneeling thing is because the majority of people, if you look at the data, support standing for the national anthem. But that's that's linked to racism, but, too, because that's a hatred of black athletes right there. That's a belief that black athletes are... It's a are, hatred of people disrespecting the country. But yeah, obviously the racial... I just worry that you're going to go all the way down the racial rabbit hole, and then that leads to so many... Uh, different kind of segues and so many different areas where people can look at the Democratic Party and claim utter hypocrisy. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. So that's so is <laughs> yeah. it? You and know, they, it's kind of like do that like, as well. Like you know, all you have right. to do is say, say two words: super predator. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know, oh, and, oh my god, and we talked about it on on the show what three weeks ago. Go back and watch '94, Clinton's State of the Union. Man, it was more conservative than Trump's. I swear to God, he brought up the three strikes you're out. I mean, and that's and I think that 100%. really affected not to again relitigate 2016, but that did negatively affect the brand. A hundred percent. So and if they go was, down that road, don't they open that door again? Well, but that's but I think that they need to I think that they need to reckon with that. I think that they need to move away from it. And I think that right now the Democratic Party is is they, they don't want to break from the Clinton part. Like they, they that's, have to. They think that's the golden age, right? No. And instead, right, I totally agree. They should be saying, you know, I, I just think uh I, I know that it's like uh it seems like a a big choice to say, okay, we're gonna talk about white nationalism and racism. But right, the the, the NFL thing that had to do with Black athletes protesting black people being killed by police, right? Yes. And they turned it and into this. And a lot this, of white athletes as well. And, and Yeah. yeah. And they turned it into this thing like you hate America. And I just But then think, we don't we have a situation where it's the white nationalist party versus the Black Lives Matter party. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people in this country firmly believe that the BLM movement is on par with like a terrorist organization. Yeah. It's like crazy. But those people, so, so like let's take, you know, it's the you know a white nationalist party versus and i don't actually think that that the democrats are the big tent that they should be but ideally you would have a big tent party that is um you know immigrants children of immigrants you know black people black working class people working class people poor people re-engaging the middle class queer people everybody who has a stake in in you know uh not fascism and that's the that's the coalitions that should be building you know and right. i and and i feel like um uh if you see if, if you have a, your average you know joe white guy in the middle of the country who sees black lives matter and is terrified by it i think that there's a couple of ways to get around that one of which is like organizing right and like realize like if that guy is in you know, there's all these structures that benefit this polarization. If that guy, right. if, if that regular guy was in a union with, a, you know, a black guy because they were in a union together and then their economic interests are tied up together. And they are. I'm not. Yeah. And they are. Yeah. I'm not saying that overnight ends racism, but that is there are ways to organize people to realize that they have more in common and yes. that they need each other. And and that work can be done, you know, by 
with with organizing and with with messaging. And I feel yeah. like that the, the the goal should be a big tent party. The, I I feel like the the goal the, the enemy is white nationalism. And so to me, it makes sense. The goal has to be a big tent tent party that is everyone who opposes white nationalism. That's people who have a stake in it for not being you know uh, uh white but also it's as you say it's people who have a stake in it for the fact that these white nationalists are also thieves who are stealing money from uh from you know everybody to give yeah. to corporations you know well i think going back to immigration just quickly i do think there's room for compromise uh, merit-based approach we've talked about this on the show that was a chuck schumer idea originally i don't have a problem with going with that i also family reunification we can look at that and try to figure it out um, the wall, I think, is ridiculous, and obviously DACA needs to be solved. So I think there are two out of the four. I think there's a lot of room for compromise. Uh, but again, uh, it doesn't seem as if the Democrat. I, I understand they don't got the numbers, uh, but it doesn't seem like they have the strategy at this point either. And I think uh, another thing of the the, the Democrats like trying to relate to the American people and understand the American people, like the the kneeling during the national anthem thing. I, I think that at its core, I think why people got so pissed off is that I think that what it came down to is you got chocolate in my peanut butter uh is this that's, is that's amazing yeah <laughs> it's like a commercial for chocolate and peanut butter it was a, it was a commercial like it, it's an old commercial or it's like you got chocolate in my peanut butter you got peanut butter in my chocolate and it's supposed to be a bad thing that's uh, a bad thing <laughs> no way but it's uh it's something where i i think the a lot of americans were uh watching and probably specifically white americans uh were watching football and then all of a sudden politics like I, you know just all of a sudden like okay like i'm watching football this is my time to relax i'm just going to be having fun and you know hanging out with my friends and then all of a sudden politics is uh right in the middle of it and then i think most people were kind of like Ugh, okay that's whatever fine all right and then trump got involved and was like hey that thing that kind of annoyed right, you blew it up. you should be super pissed off about that and they go yeah, they all I should line. be super pissed off about that. I was just annoyed before, but now I'm going to be really mad at that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a a nuance. It's a it's a smaller nuance thing. Is it might have like roots in racism, but I think uh, it's a I think it's different than just like pure straight up like I don't care about black people. Like totally. That, that is like that's not, and I think that's the misconception that a lot of people had is that they thought it's like oh kneeling down the kneeling during the national anthem like if someone doesn't like that that equals to right. they don't care about black people or they're racist and they don't care about police brutality. I think with most people it had more down to it came more down to like man they didn't care i just want i just want yeah. to watch football well, there's that I, aspect and of course they really took the the flag uh as a representation of the u.s military seriously and they just totally pivoted the argument uh colin kaepernick of course um, we do i do not want to talk about kneeling anymore uh, <laughs> but of course this started a preseason game not this year last year uh they could have clarified it perhaps a little bit better but no matter what, uh, th those are one of those social um, bug lights for a lot of people. But and, and that plays uh, in politics very powerfully yeah. these and, days. And just to clarify, like I, I, I agree with you, and I think that the key then is I don't think that everybody who saw the people kneel and were either confused or annoyed or whatever, I don't think that they're all white nationalists, right? No. They're not. And that's the, but, but, but then the danger of Trump and the danger of what's the moment we're living in right now mm -hmm. is that he then whips people up into a frenzy and a froth and he he drives this this hate right and i think that 
it would be that that uh, that that that's why Trump is so dangerous because you take a bunch of people who are who maybe are as racist as any white people, which we all live and breathe and swim in the. Well, in everyone the system, has their right? own racial bias, regardless of race and all those. Well, yeah, of, yeah, I mean, we've of course we live in a four hundred year old system that was built on slate. Like we all have, yeah. like no, all white people are I care. Like they, we breathe it, we swim it, it's everywhere. But uh, so it's if you had people who may have had a certain reaction to that, uh, then. To, to take it and to, to, to turn it the way that Trump is so gifted at turning it into this personal attack and to turn it into this national threat. I don't and that's know if what he's is... so gifted. He just called them sons of bitches. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it, it's, it's well, also not like I this think, maestro. Yeah. It's like he's well, a fucking moron. He's natural. Well, Let, let's just go ahead and say that he's got a natural talent for it. Yes. That he may not be doing it on purpose, but man, that guy was born to play piano. Yeah, he's yeah, very he... good at it. And of course, there's, yeah. Uh, white racism, there's racism amongst all the races, and uh, that's just a, a, a sad part of human nature, but obviously the social construct uh, that has uh, really helped create this country uh, certainly benefits from some doing better uh, than others uh, based on the pigment of their skin. So uh, let's move on just quickly to education, and not just quickly, we can take some time on it. Uh, Betsy DeVos, uh, what's going on? Uh, I've tried to follow this. Uh, there's a lot of fascinating things happening. Where are we at? Uh, how's the education going in the country? And as you, as a person on the front lines, a teacher who I believe teachers are the most scapegoated profession in this country. Uh, I, I really believe teachers are so unbelievably scapegoated um, from both sides. Mm -hmm. You know, from people being like, you should not give my child a C and be like, they spelled the word coffee with a K. You get a C <laughs> on the spelling test. Um, you know, where, where are we at? Yeah, I mean, she's just it's, like... It's the, the biggest question of all time. Where are we at with education? <laughs> you know, she's just an extremely incompetent person, obviously. And the main thing that I think is the biggest fear for a lot of families with Betsy DeVos is that she, um, because they are so... Because this fucking administration pretends to be so, like, anti-government, anti-federal government. They're mm -hmm. very anti... You know, Trump hates regulations. And, of course, right, I work in schools, right? Regulations, they do all sorts of... They save all sorts of lives in mines and shit, too. But regulations in school... Like, regulations are things that... Uh, you know, things like make sure that, you know, that you... Um, that children who... Uh, who you know, need assisted devices for a disability, get them. Sure. Or even something more simple than that. Make sure that your child is in an appropriate learning environment, right? So mm -hmm. the, my biggest fear with this administration is that um, children, and especially the most vulnerable children, uh, particularly children with disabilities, but also um, they've been trying to gut the Office of Civil Rights, which protects children with disabilities, also protects children who... Um, are like beat up by cops in school, right? This, okay. The whole a whole different aspect of how racism plays out, which is right. racism in schools. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, and how much more likely you know black, Hispanic, and Arab children are to experience certain types of school discipline than um, than mm -hmm. white children, and then and amongst white children, how much more likely disabled students are to experience school dis uh, harsh discipline um, than non-disabled students, and. Um, and so we've seen an erosion of those security, those safety those, nets. Those protections, mm -hmm. so yeah. From, okay, so I, I think we need to have those safety nets in place. Oh, yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, just to tell a very quick story about why those things all should be in place. When I was growing up, there was uh, a girl, in the, a disabled girl, highly disabled girl that was uh, had Down syndrome and just was, she would rip her own hair out. And she only had two, like, kind of weird little strands of hair coming out of a completely bald head. Uh, our school 
built a, a quiet room for her in which it was a dark room with a one-way mirror and a chair in the middle of it. Uh, and it was a small room, smaller than the studio we're in right now. Um, and they would strap her into the chair Jesus and just Christ. leave her there. Nightmare. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> those are the types of things that these regulations are here to prevent. I mean, it was, right. it was absolutely, I mean, it was cruel, you know, just to think yeah. of this little girl. She was six, seven, uh, and they just, they strapped her yeah. into a chair, into a room alone. And this was not, this was when I was in right. high school. This, this was, 50 yeah, years this ago. was not the 50s. This right. was the late 90s. Well, we right. saw that, you know, I did foster care growing up. My little brother, Michael, I can't believe he's like 24 years old, which is nuts. Uh, and a lot of the kids that we had coming in there, they benefited greatly from programs like Head Start, which is always on the chopping block for some freaking reason. Always. Uh, and from from those exact programs that we were just talking about. Uh, fortunately for Michael, he did not get put into a dark room. Uh, he was treated too well, in my opinion. No, I'm just joking. My little, he's my little brother. He's buying cigarettes with the money I give him. That's Roostergate. That's many, many years ago. We don't have to get into it. Yeah, we don't need to relitigate He, has, he told me Roostergate. that he lost a neighbor's rooster. He needed $10, so I gave him $10. He's like, oh, they found a rooster. I bought cigarettes. Uh, so I'm like, whatever, Michael. I'm still giving him far too much money for cigarettes and I don't know what else he's buying. Video games. Um, but when it comes to, you know, we, we spend on average 10 k uh, outside of the disabilities uh, uh, and things like that. On average, you spend more percentage uh, on children than a lot of other th- uh, of the developed nations. And we're not seeing the rewards. We're not seeing it in science. We're not seeing it in math. I, Common Core was a total nightmare. The standardized testing uh, system is a total nightmare. How do we get the most amount of return for our money? I believe we need to get rid of some of the bureaucracy in our schools. There are more uh, executive positions than ever before. And I think there's just a lot of hands taking money away from the children. I think that, you know, education is one of those things that you can say, like, we spend so much money on it. But it, it when, you know, kids are, are at school for eight hours a day and they're right. there from age four or five to age 18. And so Oof. it makes sense that we spend a lot of money on it. Right. And um, but, um, but the question is the return, the return. Right. I mean, so when it comes to the return, I think that I think that almost even the language that we're using right now, I think, is part of the problem because children aren't um, machines and we expect a certain amount of input and a certain amount of output. And we right. all know that we were all misfits growing up, right? Oh, my gosh. Uh, we I, I did not <laughs> fill out many of those bubble tests correctly. I made a lot of <laughs> curse words with them. And, and you know, like, if, if you were, you know, if you were never given any other opportunities because of your inability to fill out those tests, right. you would be fucked and that wouldn't be fair to you, right? And so I think that we expect a certain output based on the input we're giving. But what that does is erase the fact that we're talking about human beings, not machines, and that we're talking about um, education, which is something that is really amorphous. I was just reading a great article this morning in The Atlantic about pre-K and how... Um, you know, in pre-K now, there's more and more time devoted to sitting in chairs than instead of playing and sitting in a circle together. There's more and more time devoted to learning vocabulary. Like, so they're learning about the ocean and they have to learn the vocabulary word blubber instead right. of instead of maybe a decade or two ago, what you would say, why is the ocean blue? Well, you that'll know? be used like as an insult in the near future, by the way. You, <laughs> teach, you start teaching kids blubber. That's, that's going to be bad. I don't you know. know. I mean, but but yeah, that's on great. the other hand, you know, like thinking about a whole bunch of four-year-olds giggling at the word blubber does make me kind of happy. Absolutely. No, that, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so it's the, I think that there is this, we, we have... Um, but out of both from both from both sides, yes. education reform has been a very bipartisan thing, and I do not like that about it. But it, there's this idea that 
um, because because education we it's supposed to be this great equalizer, mm-hmm. which is I think a big bad liberal myth because what that does is it puts all of the onus you know all of the onus on the education system to fix all of the other problems if mm-hmm. your family is is unable to afford food or, or health care or housing then you're still expected to perform at a certain output in school because education is the great equalizer and I think that it's uh, it's it's you know of course we should invest in education but we shouldn't think of that as the thing we do instead of making sure that those kids also go home to homes and to yeah. um, to families that uh, that that can you know that can eat and stay warm and that and all of that and I think that as a result of all of these forces, um, you have education being more and more kind of um, mechanized and, and, yeah. ac- and, you know, so that you don't have kindergartners singing songs and playing games. You have them learning how to read and write. And so then by second or third grade, those kids are exhausted. They're jaded. You know, right. they and, and, and it's not learn, a good pedagogy. Right. And in my personal experience, that's how you learn. Mm-hmm. You learn how to read. You learn how to write. You learn how to speak by hearing and, and singing and yeah. reading a script, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, theatrical play, whatever it might be. I'm also a big proponent of vocational education. What do you think about something like that? That's going back to that participatory docu- uh, democracy um, uh, platform. These, you start at 14 years old. Apparently, they're getting school credits for it. That, to me, is so awesome. They're going in. They're learning how to uh, how to. Uh, legislate or how to like propose ideas and how to get people to vote on those ideas. Yeah, I think that that's fine. I think that like the idea of having, um, you know, there uh, there's this idea now that everybody has to go to college, but of course, you know, if you go to college, what that does is you go to college, but then you're you're in, you have a bunch of student debt and you're no more right. likely to get a job. Well, that right? was my only argument. Well, there's a couple of arguments. I don't know who's going to pay for all of it, but when it comes to making college like free, doesn't that just move the goalpost another four years? So you can't I, – I just feel like the unintended consequence of that would be, oh, you only have a high school degree? I'm sorry. You should have gone to college. I you know, and dif- next thing you know, it's right. like, oh, because back in the day, like high school, it wasn't the – you didn't have to necessarily have a high school degree. But it's, I think we're already there. I think you already basically do need a college degree. And instead, people – and so people get them, but then they have to go into horrible debt. And I think that – I mean, right. I, I think the difference is that viewing education as a, as a, as a human right or as a investment in – capital right and i think that if you view education as a human right i think college should be free because everybody and and i think people should be able to do liberal arts college because it made me the think like it made me be able to think about things the way that i you can know, my now, girlfriend you know? she she got an internship at 18 and she hasn't had to go to college She's, right you know so and I that's think there are, and that's great too you should have right, those options right 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 you know i i had a bunch of middle schoolers who like really knew they wanted to be mechanics <laughs> and they right. like went to the automotive high school and i was like that's great that's awesome i do hope that along the way you still have history and english and all those right. things sure but like yeah, I think that there's nothing in terms of vocation, like setting up kids for for to have special, you know, skills at the beginning is great. But I also think that the 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 kind of I think that the kind of human it's a it's a it's a very kind of non-capitalist thing to have uh, the idea that you should invest in the education of humans, not for what their output will be, but for the fact that it will make them interesting and make them thinkers and give expose them to <clears> all <throat> of these experiences. I learned a bunch of shit in college that has never been economically useful to me, but, but has been a, right. a value to me regardless, and you know, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't been to a college campus in a very long time. The closest thing we got was our show in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
the stories are horrendous. It seems like no one's learning critical uh, thinking anymore, but I don't know how much of that is just media-contrived nonsense. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure there's a lot of great people learning unique things in, uh, in college. I remember when I changed from sociology to political science, I was called a fascist for some reason by one professor, but that was... I don't know. Uh, so I just hope that people are still learning critical thinking skills. Of course. Because um, I think you have to understand the other side in order to prove your side right or uh, prove uh, or understand that maybe you were wrong about something. Yeah. You know, so that's my only concern. Well, I think w one of the things that we're losing here and like what Molly's talking about with, you know, teaching the word blubber uh, instead of like teaching. So one of them, I love the word blubber. I love the word blubber so much. It's so fun. And just to think of a bunch the of B, four year olds go, is the best blubber. Like, like, is the best letter. I just really do. That seems like a lot of fun. Uh, but what America's you know greatest export has been for a long time now is culture, imagination, yes, creativity, right. you know. And if we lose that, right. then we've lost yet another export from right. America. Because we've already lost a ton of exports yep. from America. We've lost our industrial exports right. already. And then if, if we lose our creative exports, then what do we have left? Who are we? Right. That's a good point. Exactly. And going back to Molly's point that she made earlier, if you just look at the Winter Olympics and what a great... We're the most diverse nation by far. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it? Chloe Kim, I believe, was her mm -hmm. name. Yeah. Just wonderful. Her father was from South Korea. So, you know, it's it's just so great. He gets to go back uh, to the motherland to represent this country. And that's what it's all about. Not to be super uh, corny, but that's it. That's mm -hmm. so awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, one of the great things we get to see with the Olympics. Don't praise North Korea. <laughs> uh, they are murdering so many people. 25 million people starved. Uh, so that is not that that is a losing argument. DACA, again, I just want to point out two billion bucks in tax dollars coming from those kids. And um, so there's a bunch of things happening that are good with immigration, with immigrants and uh, and uh, the diversity of this country. Uh, is there anything else? I, I mean, we didn't really get to the Rob uh, Porter stuff. Uh, the guy's out of the administration. He's a. Uh, Obvious scumbag. It might still um, be going on next week. You know, this who is knows? more than uh, more than likely. You I know, hope this, they they're trying to drag this thing out well, as long as they possibly you know, can. General John Kelly, I, he was the considered the voice of reason, and I guess that that's uh, the, the the voice is becoming more unreasonable, and I, I don't see I he's messing up so hard, and the, the part of me is very conflicted because if he leaves. Who fills the void? I mean, who are who's left? Well, Newt Gingrich? I mean, who's <laughs> going to work as chief of staff? I mean, Newt is the one who's like, he's so up far up Trump's butt, you know. I don't know. I'm starting to see a new technique with uh, the Trump administration as far as how they do the press. Drag shit out as long as you possibly can until the news cycle takes over something else and then people will forget about it. Yeah, one tweet you know, at a time. And that's, and that's what they're, they've been doing. Like, they've been dragging this out for how long now? Like, five, six days where they keep just What's giving those little tiny little bits of information. And you're like, well, we didn't know. Well, maybe we knew. And that, like, the one guy being like, yeah, we didn't do this as good as we possibly, as we really should have. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're, they're just dragging it out. But, you know, I think the press is also they also forget about a lot of big stories when they cover these um uh important and obviously domestic abuse is very important but we also are ratcheting up to war very very quickly and i would like to see a little bit more attention uh paid into that you know i, I don't mean, want a bastille day parade <laughs> in dc i mean and also remember this is that you know people are saying they're praising north korea one of our heads of state had a staring contest with the sister of the dictator 
that is currently in a feud with us. It like, was ridiculous. I mean, and th- this is this is serious. Like that, you know, that's it's not just about these, uh, you know, about people praising North Korea. Like it's about like that's tension. Those are tensions. Th- those are of tensions course. heightening. Yeah. Yeah. So we are ratcheting up very, very quickly. That said, uh, I do. I would love nothing more than to have John Kelly just disgraced forever. I. What's, well, I what's think scary he's working is, on it. What's scary is who could replace him, of course, but I hate that he has a reputation for being this reasonable man. He came from the Department of Homeland Security. He has been uh, already in charge of horrific I, you know, immigration policies that ripped families apart and that made people suffer. And he, the fact that they obviously knew that this guy was a domestic abuser and they didn't give a shit. I just want him to be disgraced and shamed. And, and, but, but the problem is that the people in the Trump administration are going to use that as an opportunity to maybe get somebody even way more batshit in there. And that's scary. There it is. And we talked about this on last week's episode. There was a Kansas chemistry professor who was arrested on his front lawn in front of his wife. For, uh, you know, he's the, he's the exact kind of person uh, that we need in this country. Talk about the brain drain. And, uh, mm-hmm. It is forcibly happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, Obama, well, you know, let's not forget, deporter in chief himself. Yeah. So a mm-hmm. uh, oh, great interview with him and David Letterman, by the way. Yeah, David was Let- it great? It was very interesting. Yeah. And those portraits. Oh, my God. We didn't even get to the Sean Hannity thinks there's a sperm on Obama's face. God, we should, they, that, that's the lead. I buried they just it. See, they see dicks and semen everywhere. Everywhere they turn. Everywhere. Like, I guarantee you it was a Republican who spotted the cock on the Little Mermaid cover. Maybe. Garen. I guarantee you it was. I thought Obama's portrait was kind of fun. Oh, Michelle Obama does not look like Michelle Obama, which yeah. was kind of weird to me. But oh. uh, there's bigger issues in the world than portraits. And one other ICE story that we uh, maybe can talk about next week is the ICE agent in Seattle that was busted for stealing immigrants' identities. Uh, this was he was uh, this guy in Seattle. He was the head of ICE in Seattle, uh, and he just got busted for I think it's for the last six years. He He's been stealing the identities of immigrants and uh, using them to enrich himself. Oh, my God. Uh, so, well, yeah, I mean, the, so there is a there is a lot wrong with ICE and they are taking advantage of immigrants in a lot of ways. So it, it is yeah. a it is not looking good for ICE. Well, it's just a lot, a lot of corruption yeah. and mm-hmm. a lot of turning a blind eye by the federal government. Uh, so, yeah, check out. Um, seen all red, great documentary on Netflix. That payday loan uh, documentary is also fascinating. I watched a couple of other ones, mostly Planet Earth one and two, uh, which is also <laughs> a great documentary. Re- revisit one. I've been trying to relax. I played a lot of Stardew Valley. Oh, yeah, it's nice. You get fun. to be a farmer. Oh, okay. Going back to your roots. <laughs> Look at that. You get to do it from the comfort of your own living room now. Uh-huh. Uh, Molly, anything you want to plug? Um, well, if you like me talking about politics, I host a political podcast called Radio Dispatch that's every day. You can find that on whatever you listen to your podcasts on. And I co-host it with my brother. And if you like um, you know, LPN and... And goofs and pop culture. You should listen goofs. to page seven, which is um, <laughs> me and Jackie and Marcus's show. And we just launched a Patreon. So if That's you it. want to support us, go check out our Patreon. Yes, absolutely. I want to thank everyone for the support here for Abling and Stop It. We're crushing it. We were just beating Hannity, Laura Ingram. Uh, and there's another guy that I really didn't like that we were beating, but I'm not going to tell you his name. Uh, <laughs> I so thank think you all I know s- who it is. Thank you all so much for the support. Um, hail yourselves, everyone. Find us all on social media. You know who you, you know where we are, and uh, make sure you give to the Patreon for page seven. All right, we'll talk to you soon. The Angie's. 
Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.